Well, what is up, movie lovers? Welcome back to the Movie Night Apologetics podcast. And today, I'm going to be going over and discussing the movie An Unfinished Life. And I'm going to be giving my review, my insight on the themes of the movie as it relates to anger and unforgiveness and what the consequences are when we don't let go of our bitterness and resentment towards other people. And then also, I want to discuss... Uh, and discuss like a little bit of a touchy subject here today and that's on relationship abuse and give a little bit of insight into how to know what abuse is and give hope to those who have gone through it or are going through it right now. And I would just love to encourage you to look at the link I posted in the show on the on this podcast if you think you're going through an abusive relationship so that way you can get the help you need because I know for a fact that God loves you so much and he wants you to be free from that abusive relationship so please visit the website and call the number if you think or if you know you are in an abusive relationship or share this with somebody so with that let's start the show Whether it's comedy, action-adventure, drama, horror, and everything else in between, all movies at least have one thing in common. They all share a message with you. This is Movie Night Apologetics, where I, movie apologist Clark, review and examine movies and their messages from a Christian perspective. Hopelessly lost in what to do, Jean and her daughter Griff leave Jean's abusive boyfriend and try to find refuge at Griff's grandfather's ranch in Wyoming. Unfortunately, Griff's grandfather, Einer, is bitter and angry at Jean for the past mistakes she has made. Reluctantly, Einer lets him stay, and with the help of his ranch buddy Mitch, Mitch lovingly tries to show Einer why he needs to forgive what has happened in the past in regards to Gene. Will Einer learn to forgive? Will he be able to restore and make amends with the little families he has left? And will Gary, Gene's old abusive boyfriend, come in and try to swoop her off her feet? Well, I guess you're going to have to see for yourself because now we're going to go and talk about the movie in greater details. I'm going to give some spoilers, even though it's like a 20-year-old movie. At this point, 20-year-old movies, you can kind of spoil. So let's get into the movie review. So one of the big themes in this movie is anger and bitterness and what I've picked up, obviously. Through the discussions in the movie, we learn that the reason Einer is angry at Jean is because one night she and her boyfriend Griffin, Einer's son, were driving and she fell asleep at the wheel and Griffin died in the car crash and Einer blamed Jean because both of them, they flipped a coin and then she lost, she drove, she fell asleep and hit the wheel. And so now Einer's blaming her. And to some extent, you know, really looking at the situation, I don't really um, blame Einer for having some hurt and some pain in his life. I can only imagine, you know, if you're raising a kid, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of raising three little ones right now. My oldest one, one is going to be turning seven this year. My second oldest is going to be turning three next month. And my youngest is going to be turning a year in May. 
And I can only imagine that you grow up, I mean, like when you are a parent and you give yourself to these kids like day in and day out, you feed them, you clothe them, you put a shelter and roof over their heads, you teach them the ways and how to become good civil people to society, and then you let them go, they're out of the house, and then a few years later... They die in a car accident because of, you know, somebody else's mistake. And I could honestly feel that for Einer. Like, it, it would just, it, I, I would be just shattered if that happened to me and my son. If, like, my son got married to a gal and she fell asleep at the wheel, oh, man, that, that would just be so heartbreaking, so in one sense, yeah, I can see where Einer is coming from in his hurt, in his pain, in his son, losing his son. And he has every right to grieve that loss. We are all okay and we are in the right to grieve the losses that we have in our lives. Where it's not okay is on the flip side where he's becoming so anger. He has so much bitterness and resentment towards Gene that it's not only hurting her, but it's also hurting his granddaughter. And not only is it hurting Gene, it's hurting granddaughter, but it's also hurting himself. In Paul's letter to the church, we read in, a, in Ephesus, in the church of Ephesus, he says in Ephesians, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. A lot of Christians, when they hear this quote, they just look at the first half of the verse and say, ah, see, the Bible says it's okay to be angry. But what does the rest of the verse, <laughs> it's like, what does the rest of the verse say? We got to read this in context. You know, it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Paul was onto something here. Yes, anger in and of itself is not sin. If anger was sin, then Jesus would have sin when he flipped the tables in the temple. And I actually love the quote that Emmy gave me by Gary Chapman, and he puts it this way. There is a definitive anger and distort, there is a difference between definitive anger and distorted anger. The definitive anger is born out of wrongdoing, such as Jesus flipping the tables at the temple. He was angry that the poor were being taken advantage of by those at the temple, charging more than they ought for animals to sacrifice. So this happens when someone lies to us or about us, steals from us, or treats us unfairly. This is the only kind of anger God ever experiences, and it is valid. Distorted anger, however, is not valid. It is triggered by mere disappointment, an unfulfilled desire, frustration, moods, or moral transgressions. Anger is an emotion, just like happiness and sadness. Being angry is not sin, but that doesn't mean it's okay to be angry all the time and justify it as righteous anger. So you probably heard the saying, unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. So imagine all the years Einer could have had with his daughter-in-law and his granddaughter, Griff, if he would have just let go of his anger sooner rather than later. 
He wasted nine years, almost a decade of having a relationship with them, both because he could not let go of his anger. This is why God wants us to let go of our anger because it doesn't just hurt the other people around us. It also immensely hurts us. And God, I mean, remember God, he designed us. He created us and he knows how we are made. He knows how we are wired. And when he says, let go of the anger, forgive, you know, forgive 70 times seven, forgive, forgive, forgive then I think we need to listen to him. And I want to go to the practical side of this. How do we as Christians let go of our anger when stuff has happened to us so that we don't get caught up in all these vicious cycles of pushing people away from us like Einar did? I think one of the ways we can forgive people that have wronged us, whether by accident or not, is to look at the cross of Christ I mean, really look at the beauty and see what really happens at that cross. And we just see the kind of price Jesus paid to forgive us of our sins. Like, think about us. We like, we rebelled against God. We spat in his face. We, we said like, Hey God, I don't want to follow you. I want to love my sin and I don't want anything to do with you. And yet here he comes. In his full form, like he is fully God, fully man, perfectly sinless, no sin in him. He goes, he lays his life down for us so that we don't have to succumb to the judgment of God. And he freely and forgives us of our sins. And so, you know, if you're a Christian, your sins are forgiving. Like, that is so amazing. You know, so if you just look at the weight of your sin, if I look at the weight of my sin, just how much Jesus paid, it's overwhelming how much he has forgiven me. And there is a story that I want to look at and I want to read with you, and it's called The Parable of the Unforgiving Servant. And so this is going to pick up I honestly cannot remember what Bible verses this is. <laughs> it's somewhere Mark, Matthew, Luke, or John. It's one of the, I mean, it's one of the three or four gospels. So the parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often shall I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, you may be thinking when you hear this, you're like, ah, okay, all I have to do is forgive 490 times after someone has wronged me. After that, I can no longer, I do not any longer have to forgive them. But that is not the point of what Jesus is saying. He's like, it's saying that, hey, forgive so much that you lose count. Therefore, the kingdom, we pick up back on verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of the debtors was brought in, owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt 
So the man did all he could pay his debt, but still fell very, very short of what he needed to owe. But the, mel- but the man fell down before his master and begged him, oh, please be patient with me and wi- I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. So this guy, he owed millions of dollars and wanted the king to graciously forgive him. The king graciously forgave him of his millions of dollars, let him go free, and immediately this hired, this guy went to his fellow servant who only owed him a few thousand dollars, and it says he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for just a little more time. He said, be patient with me. I will pay. He said the same exact thing that this other guy just said to the king who, but he owed millions. Whereas this guy only owed thousands and this guy pleaded and he pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until a debt could be paid in full. He didn't give forgiveness to his servant like the king gave him forgiveness. When some, we pick up on verse 31, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, Oh, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you. Ooh, this is the words of Jesus. I'm taking it out of the Bible. This is Jesus' words. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Forgiveness is at the heart and center of who God is. This is like the very character and nature of God. Like his whole nature is to forgive people. And we as Christ followers are commanded to forgive others just as Christ has forgiven us. Because if we don't, we really are proving that, oh man, we really don't know about the forgiveness in which God has forgiven us. And I think on another thing to think about when it comes to this idea of forgiving people that um, have wronged us is honestly looking at the mistakes we have made ourselves. Uh, One of the scenes I really resonated with that I loved in this movie, it could have been portrayed a little bit better. It wasn't portrayed as well. I mean, this movie kind of fell flat, to be honest with you, in its um, teaching. 
Um, but if you just look at it for what it is, it's, it's good. But one of the scenes that really hit this point home is when we find out the reason why Einer, uh, he couldn't save his friend from that bear attack because Einer was, <laughs> he was drunk because he was so grievous. He was grieving the loss of his son so much that he was a drunk. And because of that, his hired hand, played by Morgan Freeman, awesome Morgan Freeman, he got injured by the bear. He got attacked by the bear. He Like, Einer couldn't get to Morgan Freeman in time because he was wallowing in his grief using alcohol. So, you know, if you really are struggling with anger or unforgiveness, I would just ask you to pray to God to help you to see the cross in a more clear light and what he has done for you and to help you forgive others. God's our creator. He knows how he made us. Again, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness is not good for us. And he calls us to give it over to him, to lay it down at the foot of the cross I love the way that Emmy put it that she gives me a little bit of advice of what I could do with these notes. And she says, forgiveness isn't a feeling. It's a commitment to accept the person in spite of what he or she has done. It's a decision not to demand justice, but to show mercy. We have to trust that God is a ruler and overseer of justice when choosing to forgive we release them and our demand for justice to him. His righteousness will deal with it on his timing. We have to trust that it will more than satisfy any justice we may think we need. In order to not be our, like, you know, I'm like picturing this. I'm like, okay, how do I not end up like Einer in his old age? Because I want to learn from that. You know, when I, when I look at these movies, I say, how can I learn not to be where these characters are at in the movies? And, and my question is, is like, how do we forgive now? Like, a great way to start is by forgiving people for the small things that they do on a daily basis. Like, let's just start there. Okay. Maybe you, um, have like a lot of hurt towards people and there have been a lot of sins that have been hit on you by other people and maybe you're trying to find it a really hard practical thing to do just let it go okay well let's start with the small stuff then you know i i think god honors that i truly do i think if you're like man i really want to forgive this person but right now my heart is uh it's just it's really i'm really wrestling with this well okay then let's start off with small things. Let's do this on it. Let's do this on a daily basis. So, for example, maybe someone cuts you off in traffic. Don't get mad. Don't flip them off. Don't give them the bird. But pray that the Lord would bless them in their life and that He shows them who He is more clearly if they're Christian or not Christian, or if you. Uh, or if someone makes a mistake at your job that affected you in some way, go to Christ in prayer and ask him to give you wisdom on the situation and to quickly forgive the person that made the mistake, knowing that maybe you have probably made similar mistakes that affect other people's jobs as well. Forgiveness, like anything in life, it takes discipline 
and hard work. So just continue to practice the art of forgiving people in your daily life and soon, you know, and then, and then while you're doing that, just ask God to soften your heart towards the people that have really offended you in this life. So just keep practicing and look to your Heavenly Father for forgiveness and ask Him to do that. So anyways, well, after the commercial break, we are diving into the second part of the show and I want to talk about abuse. Um, if you haven't, if you have been in an abusive relationship or are in now one currently, uh, my hope is that you will be encouraged by it because I want to talk about the signs of an abusive relationship and also talk about a quote from this book that you will find re- refreshing. So I will see you right after the commercial break. You guys want to know a secret? Just because I have a podcast out on the podcasting platforms doesn't mean people will find the show right away. I know it's crazy, but it's true. So in order for this podcast to reach people when they search for a new movie podcast to listen to, I need your help. I would love a five-star rating and review from you. This will help greatly reach people because my goal for the show is to help people, whether they are Christians or people. People from other religions or beliefs understand the Christian worldview through the movies and their messages. So if you haven't already, please pause this right now and rate this five stars and leave a review. I would appreciate that so much, and that would just mean the world to me. Hope you guys are enjoying this episode, and now let's get back to the show. So one of the most heartbreaking scenes in this movie is when Jean was talking to the deputy about the reason she stayed with the abusive boyfriend, Gary, for so long, because he was wondering why she would just stay. I mean, it's like, if someone's abusive, just leave. And this is like her response to that, uh, you know, a few scenes later after he asked, she said, you stay because you don't deserve any better. You stay because you think it's the best you can do. And after reading a few books on this, I, I, I've read some books on like abu- women that are abused in relationships. And it honestly just kind of breaks my heart that there are so many women out there in this type of situation. Maybe you are in jean shoes right now and maybe you don't know you're being abused or you do know, but you don't know how to get help. You think it's the best that you can do because, you know, hey, you know, he's a loser and I, you know, or she's a loser. I don't know, like, if there's anyone else out there, I don't know if I'm worth it. And what I would like to do for this portion of the episode is talk about just the 10 signs of an abusive relationship. And that way, if you are in it, but you don't know it, you can be aware, and I'll leave a link to the website where I got this from. Plus, I'm going to put the phone number for you to call. So this is from the website, thehotline.org. And here are the signs, the 12 signs you are in an abusive relationship. So number one, partner telling you that you never do anything right. Two, showing extreme jealousy of your friends or time spent away from them. Three, preventing or discouraging you from spending time with others, particularly 
maybe friends, family members, or peers. And one of the things with this third one, when they're discouraging you from, you know, spending time with friends, family members, or peers, if they're in a very abusive relationship, especially a physical, physically abusive relationship, they probably want to control that part of you so that you don't go on telling them what, you know, your partner is doing. Right. So if your partner is doing all this abusive, physical, emotional stuff, they probably don't want that information out there. So they're going to try to keep you contained to where you are not um, spending time with other people outside of that. So that's something that I kind of picked on, up on in some of the books. So for insulting, demeaning or shaming you, especially in front of other people. Five, preventing from making your own decisions, including about work or attending school. Six, controlling finances in the household without discussing, such as taking your money or refusing to provide money for necessary expenses. So this is another part of control. If they have control of the money, then they have control of where you go. Because guess what? You can't really travel without gas money. You can't really go to a hotel or anything without money, right? It's a very controlling thing. So if they control the finances, they can kind of control that you stay in the house and that you don't go or that you leave. Seven, pressuring you to have sex or perform sexual acts you're not comfortable with. Eight, um, pressuring you to use drugs or alcohol. Nine, intimidating you through threatening looks or actions. 10, insulting your parenting or threatening to harm or take away your child, children, or pets. 11, intimidating you with weapons like guns, knives, or mace. 12, destroying your belongings or your home. So, if you are experiencing a few of these, you are in an abusive relationship. And I would just encourage you, again, to seek help. Find a good church that will help you in this time in your life, whether you are married or you're not married. I would say if you are experiencing these signs in a non-marital relationship, man, you're just free to walk away completely guilt-free. God doesn't want you to seek a marriage with a person who is abusing you because you may be like Gene and think, well, you can't do any better, but you, I mean, you really can. There are wonderful godly men. There are wonderful godly women who follow Jesus and his teachings and treat their partners with dignity and respect. And there's nothing wrong with being, and again, there's nothing wrong with being single either. You don't, you know, it's, you're not required to get married. So please don't stay with a Gary type kind of person. Leave him and just don't look back. Leave him and don't look back in the rearview mirror. So now where the conversation in this gets a little more trickier and nuanced is if you are married. And I want you to know something up front though. If your spouse is physically abusing you, you do not need to stay. Period. Where it gets into some nuance, honestly, is more the verbal and emotional abuse. Each case is different depending on how severe it is, of course. So I would just ask you if you're unsure that you, if you are in an abusive relationship as, as far as like verbal or emotional, um, 
get guidance, seek advice from some people at your church, preferably from an older married couple who have a healthy relationship. Uh, again, man, there is, there is no shame for you in this. A lot of women especially feel shame talking about the abuse in their relationship, in their marriage. And I just want to say that if you are a Christian, oh man, you are a dear child of God who, um, because it, one of the things that I love, and this is a verse found in Romans that says, whoever believes in Jesus, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. God loves you and he, he cares so much about you. Do you know what God considers as true religion? It says in James, in the book of James, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Okay, let's keep up our, you know, perks on this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, you know, it's like God has a heart for orphans and he has a heart for widows that are in distress. And it says in the Old Testament, this is how God describes himself as a father. Psalm 68, 5 through 6. Sing to God, praise his name, exalt the rider of the clouds, rejoice before him whose name is the Lord, father of the fatherless, defender of widows, God in his holy abode. So I want you to know something. If you are in a marriage and it ended tragically in a divorce or it or is headed that direction, I want you to know that God is your defender. I know there I know you you know that there are Christians that believe, hey, you gotta do everything you can to keep this marriage intact because you made a covenant. So you're supposed to stick it out no matter what because you made a promise to God for sickness, health, for better or worse. Hey, that was your promise. And now you're divorced. And maybe you are looked down upon by your church. Heck, maybe even you've been excommunicated even though you tried your best to make the marriage work to the best of your ability. But you couldn't do it anymore because the person wouldn't change. And I recently read this book called I Didn't Survive by Name, and I can't honestly pronounce her last name, so forgive me, but the book is in the description in the episode. So she became a Christian as a child, even though her family was a Muslim, and she later married this guy named Saeed in Iran, and they started a house church in Iran. Well, eventually Saeed gets put in prison for his faith, and she's trying to get him out by going on news media and making it known to the people that Iran will free him, or making it known so that the people of Iran will free him. The But the unfortunate part in all of this, the whole time since before they got married, while they were married, planting house churches, to him being in prison, he was verbally and emotionally and physically abusive to her at times. And the sad part is, like, after about three years of Saeed being in prison, he was verbally abusing her over the phone, and finally she just, she couldn't take it any longer. Like, she broke down in front of her pastor, she had to let this be known, and so she was encouraged by some of the Christians in the process, but most of them thought she was making it up. They thought of Saeed as this kind of, like, martyr, kind of martyrdom Paul figure, and they just couldn't imagine him being anything that bad. 
and one prominent Christian thought Naame and Saeed had a marriage problem and he wanted them to get counseling to work it out to keep the marriage intact. I mean, it was so bad that she did not want to be anywhere near Saeed, but this famous pastor brought Saeed straight to her house in in Boise, Idaho. And the reason I want to bring this up is because we as Christians, we often get very saical about marriage. I mean, of course, I'm, I'm a proponent, a, a proponent of marriage. I, I know that God hates divorce. Divorce shatters family. But you know what also shatters family? Unrepentant sin. This gal, time and time and time again, tried to hold on to the marriage and he wouldn't change. He changed kind of a little bit when he was in prison because of what he went through. But as soon as he started to get some popularity, as soon as he knew that he was popular and there were people talking about him, man, his ego went up and he just, he was just abusive. This is at towards the end of the book that she shit. And this is really, this really just shifted my thought on this subject. You know, so Saeed, he returned to Boise, took care of his outstanding warrant. Um, Name says the judge and the divorce concluded he was a habitual perpetrator of domestic violence. So if a judge is saying that, you know, it's got to be in some ways accurate. Like this isn't just her just spouting stuff off. I mean, this is legit. And they went through a reunification process that he could visit their kids. And then this is what Name said. When God helped me see that it was biblical to create boundaries with Saeed because of the abuse of adultery, I discovered that he cares more about the person within an institution such as marriage than about trying to keep the institution intact. This was a revelation to me. Jesus came to save people, not institutions. God reminded me of that. When Jesus was on earth, many of the religious leaders had been so concerned about keeping the Sabbath day that they actually objected when Jesus healed people on the Sabbath. Their man-made rules for the Sabbath became more important to them than the well-being of suffering people. And they failed to understand these words of God spoken by the prophet Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Similarly, we can be so concerned that marriage be preserved that we do not step in to help the one who is being abused in that relationship. As Christians, we are held to a high standard in how we treat other people, especially our spouses, We are called to treat our spouses with love and care, the kind of love and care we ourselves receive from God. In this way, having regard for marriage sometimes means that a union will end in divorce because a person within that union needs to be respected and protected, not bound forever to mistreatment. God values the lives of his children above the institution of marriage. Therefore, if an institution that God has set up, whether it is the institution of marriage or the church itself to shield, provide for, and serve people and is harming them instead, then that institution is no longer submitted to God. 
and he calls us to rescue the individuals who are being harmed. For generations, wives have been told that their marriage is sacred and they need to do everything they can to save it. God loves marriage, but marriage was made for the husband and wife, not the other way around. God hates divorce, but it is an insult to believe that he doesn't hate violence against his children more. And that's the end of the quote. You are very valuable to God. And I can say with confidence that if you are in an abusive marriage like Jean was with her relationship to Gary, it is okay to seek help and guidance and to leave the marriage to seek protection. Oftentimes in these abusive relationships like the one Jean had with Gary or what Naomi had with Saeed, it's not a relationship or a marriage problem. It is clearly a sin problem that the abuser needs to change his or her way and turn from their sin. So please go seek help if you're in that. If you looked at the 12 list of 12 things and there's a few things on there that are like hitting at red flags, uh, don't hesitate. Like call the hotline, go to your local church, ask for help, ask for guidance because honestly like I can't, I'm not a counselor. <laughs> I can give like my little 30 something a minute advice on this show about this. But I mean, your situation is um, different. Every situation is different. So please go to your guidance, uh, go to the people that will give you good guidance, go to your local church, call the hotline, those kind of things. So anyways, because again, you know, if, if you're the one that is trying to make the marriage work while the person is being the, you know, the abuser and he, he or she is not willing to change, not willing to grow, not willing to repent in this situation. It's not a marriage problem. It's clearly a sin problem. So go get help, seek guidance. And so with that, um, if you know someone who is in an abusive relationship, Hey, reach out to them, help them ask some questions Help them to find guidance and counselors as well. And let's just try to be a part of the healing process within the body of Christ. Thank you guys for listening to the show so much. Um, you know that I do not do a whole lot of promotion for this show. And I would just love it if you would just share this with a family member, friend, or coworker, someone that you're close with, and say, hey, here's a podcast I listen to if you love movies. Like this guy, he talks about the movie Messages, and he talks about them from a Christian perspective, and he just shows a lot of hope in these movies. And I just want to share this with you. And so I would just love that you you share this. And um Yeah. So a shout out to my amazing wife, Bethany, and my friend, Emmy, for helping me make this podcast better. And like my friend Blaine always says, don't party too hard without me. What? Catch you guys later. Whether it's at home or at the movie theaters, Movie Night Apologetics exists to help you, the listener, know the Christian worldview through the movie's messages. I am movie apologist Clark, and this is Movie Night Apologetics Podcast. 